Welcome to the Chicago Camp's 2017 Prototypes, Process, and Play Design Leadership Conference Podcast, sponsored by Balsamic. With Balsamic mockups, anyone can design great interfaces. And in partnership with Simplecast. Publish your podcast the easy way at simplecast.fm. This podcast features Dan Brown, co-founder of 8Shapes and author of multiple high-impact design books, and his presentation, Curiosity, Skepticism, and Humility, Achieving the Right Mindset for Design Discovery in Teams, from August 11, 2017. Ladies and gentlemen, Dan Brown. Thank you. Thanks. So I, I can't sustain my voice for 45 minutes without a mic, so that's why I mic'd here. Um, yeah, so I'm the jerk who has to now start talking about design again at this design conference uh, after two really interesting uh, talks this morning. Like Russ said, I'm uh, based in Washington, D.C. I've been there for half my life now, which is... Um, made for some interesting changes in my personality. Uh, I run a small design shop in Washington called Eight Shapes with my partner, Nathan Curtis. Can I get some thumbs up on the audio? Everyone doing okay for, or just anything really, just food, Muppets, whatever's on your mind. I wrote two books. Uh, The first one was called Communicating Design. Uh, This came out when my first son was born. Uh, And it's basically about uh, how we communicate our design ideas to other members of the team. Uh, And then when my second son was born, I wrote another book um, called Designing Together because sometimes it's hard to work with other uh, people. So I really like thinking about kind of the weirder and uh, kind of bizarre underbelly uh, of of our profession. Um, One of the things I really like to do is play games Uh, So I designed a game around uh, collaboration and conflict. It's a card game. If you've played Apples to Apples, you know how to play this game already, though it's more for a work setting, I guess, than some versions of Apples to Apples. Anyway, okay. So uh, in this game, we've got uh, situations like the one on your left, um, and then we've got techniques for dealing with those situations like the ones uh, on the right. And you play this game to try and exercise your skills in dealing with conflict and difficult situations. Um, So I like thinking about the hard parts uh, of the design uh, process, and that naturally got me to a third book, No Kid, this time. We just, we said, you can write a book, but we're not having any more. We got a dog, which is, I guess, well, she thinks she's a third kid. So um, this book just came out. It's called Practical Design Discovery, and where I think about how do you start a design project? Like, where, where where do you start, right? When you have a blank page, what's, what's the first thing you put down on paper? So I get to work on some really interesting projects, and they're, they're interesting for me. You'll get to see what some of the projects are I get to work on. So I got one uh, a couple years ago uh, from a major book publisher in New York City, and they want to help parents engage more with their children through educational content. If you have children, you know that this is the age of the screen. We hand them a screen, and they are entertained, but we don't necessarily know, and maybe educated, but we don't necessarily know we don't necessarily know what they're doing or why they're doing it. So the intent here was, how do we, how do we create more engagement between parents and children? More recently, I've been doing a lot of work in higher education. So uh, earlier this year, I got a uh, client who asked me, uh, we have these college administrators. They're used to being college administrators, but they're not used to thinking in a business 
way? How do we help them make their business decisions using data? And then the one that I've uh, been toying with a lot um, is aspiring architects and how they deal with the licensing process, at least here in the United States. So maybe from your perspective, these aren't the sexiest projects in the world, but what I appreciate about them is that I'm helping people solve problems in their world, right? within their world. How do I get a license? How do I get enrollment up at my college? How do I communicate with my kid more? Right? These are important problems to individual people. But they're also bizarre, right? They're not in my realm of uh, experience. So how do you solve them? Where do you start, right? And that's really kind of the key question here is where do you start with a problem like this when a client shows up and asks you or tells you this is what we want, where do you start? Not a rhetorical question. Where do you start? I do this so I can take a drink. What is the first thing that popped into your head? Anybody? Your Who's your audience? Thank you, Livia. I knew I could count on Livia. Who's your audience? Who, when we say parents, who do we really mean? Well, we don't need parents of teenagers. Maybe that's not the right educational content that we're talking about. Maybe we're not talking about, I don't know, homeschooling parents because they're very engaged with their child's education. So what do we mean when we say parents? Where else do you start? This is the interactive portion of this conference. Uh, what are your business goals? How are we going to make money doing this, right? That's really important in this day and age. What, what were you going to say? Sure, I believe you. Gail, what were you going to say? What do you think you know? What are your, some of your underlying assumptions here so we can tease those out, right? These are all big questions that we ask. This is your design process. Does that look familiar? Big green bar? Sure. Um, so first... 20% uh, of, the, of the design process we usually reserve for asking these kinds of questions, right? We ask big questions, but they're fewer at the beginning of the process. And as we move, I should start over here. As we move through the design process, we ask small, you know, more specific questions, right? More detailed questions. So over there, who's your audience? Over here, what color is the button, right? Important decisions both but we need to answer the audience question up there before we can answer the button question over here. You with me? Make sense? You're hungry. It's almost lunchtime. I get it. I totally get it. So when we look at a problem like we want to help aspiring architects get a license, we need to ask some pretty big questions. We need to ask things like what are the challenges that they face? in getting a license. Why is this hard? How does this make a difference in their world? What do, what do they bring to the table? Right? We need to understand from a uh, high-level perspective uh, what, try and unpack this statement a little bit. Sorry, Brooke, I started that sentence like three different times. So, um, so this is the process of discovery, right? Is identifying uh, these big questions and maybe trying to find uh, the right answer. So by going through discovery, the team creates what I call uh, a shared pool uh, of knowledge. They gain insights and ideas by learning more about the design space. The slides get way better. Don't take a picture now. They get way better. No, seriously, they're really, this is like, this is like a C plus. There's, there's some solid A plus slides later. <laughs> Gotta stop doing that. It's very limited time. All right. 
So when we build this shared pool of knowledge, we have actually a shared experience, right? We can relate to each other and we can say, remember when we did that user test? Or we can say, remember when we sat in on that sketching studio and we came up with these ideas and these are the reasons why we uh, rejected them, right? We have that shared, that culture almost, right? At a team level of uh, what worked and what didn't. And we can draw on that shared pool of knowledge uh, to do our design work. So my tentative, my working definition of discovery is this. It's a set of activities uh, that yield that shared pool of knowledge so that we can structure and inform our detailed design work later, right? So we can make all of those decisions later in the process. We've got that shared pool up front that we can draw from. But here's the thing. When we ask what is discovery, we can talk about it uh, in terms of the deliverables that we make, right? We can talk about it in terms of personas to define our audience or a product strategy to uh, define what our business goals are. Uh, we can talk about it in terms of the activities uh, that, that we do. We can talk about it in terms of, uh, well, we're going to go do a brainstorming exercise or uh, we are going to go uh, interview a bunch of users, right? So discovery can be those outputs, those activities, but honestly, at the end of the day, I really think of discovery as a mindset. And that's what we're gonna talk about for the next 30 minutes or so. Well, what is a mindset? I've thought a lot about this, and thank God the psychologist is not still here, because he, maybe he is, but maybe he would disagree with some of these things. Um, I believe a mindset is our, uh, w the way that we uh, perceive situations, make sense of those situations, and then choose to react to those situations. It is a framework that we impose on our world to make sense of it and to react to it. So mindset is the mental framework that we use to do those interpretations. So for example, um, in discovery, when we, uh, our perception is that we have a deficiency in knowledge. I don't really understand who my users are. Uh, so I understand that I need to fill in the gaps. Right? I could say, I perceive I don't understand my users, so I'm just going to make a lot of assumptions about them. Right? That's a different understanding. But uh, in this case, the understanding is to fill in the gaps. And I'm going to make a choice. I'm going to choose to engage in activities, to do those things, make those deliverables, to help me create that shared pool of knowledge. At each of these transitions, we can pause and we can ask ourselves, is this the right thing? Now that may seem a little strange, given the example that I just gave you, but I'm gonna give you some other examples that make it important for us to pause and reflect and ask ourselves, am I making good choices here? So is this the right, have I perceived the situation correctly? Do I understand it correctly? And have I made the right choice? And then, only then can we act. I want to talk a little bit about why mindset is uh, important uh, in, in design. Um, projects are getting harder, like really hard, like need a lot of people. When I started in the web back in the hypercard days, that, or I guess just beyond the hypercard days that Lisa referred to yesterday, you know, one person could just sit and build a whole website, right, in a week's time. And that's changed. We're working on much more complicated things. Mindset um, helps us overcome this complexity. Complexity promises to thwart our efforts, and through our mindset, we embrace behaviors that allow us to deal with complexity. 
Also, shit's getting new, right? We have all kinds of new things that we're dealing with here. And if you are not flexible, if you can't uh, um, uh, confront novelty, <clears throat> you're not in a position uh, to create solutions uh, that make use of them. The right mindset is what allows us to evolve as designers, to incorporate new techniques and new perspectives into our work. And my favorite topic is collaboration, right? It's hard to work with other people. People are weird, right? And by using the, you laugh like that's a joke. No, that's, that is the most serious thing I've said. People are weird and it's hard to work with them and mindset helps us overcome those differences. Mindset helps us understand that when that person says something to me, maybe they're not attacking me personally, right? Maybe there, there's some kernel of truth in what they're saying, even though they're shit at what they're saying, right? Or how they're saying it. So let me give you an example. Uh, all of us do critique, right? So this poor stick figure uh, on the left here has a really innovative uh, design involving rectangles. Um, and these other two people apparently use rectangles to critique the design. That's as good as I get in terms of cartooning, right? So here we are uh, in a critique situation. Let me tell you how this goes sometimes, mindset-wise, right? So my uh, perception here is if I'm the person um, receiving uh, the, the critique, my perception is that obviously my colleagues are threatened by the genius that is Dan Brown, right? So clearly, um, I understand that uh, whoever wins gets promoted, and therefore, um, you know, I'm just gonna ignore uh, whatever they say, I'm gonna get really defensive, and uh, that's how my critique will go. Does that sound, that sounds about right. Have you sat in a critique like that recently? No, this is not how we, sh this is not how we can operate and hope to be productive, hope to ship, hope to fail successfully, right? We can't uh, operate in that way. And in fact, a critique mindset is, hey, my colleagues are trying to help. Hey, I understand that we're trying to achieve the same goals and their perspectives may be useful to me. And you know what? I'm gonna listen to what they say because maybe that what they're saying will help me improve my ideas. Different mindset, different approach to critique. You with me? Let's do one more. I was gonna cut this one out, but then I thought, no, this is fun, I'm having fun. So one of the things that we do is we do research, right, to inform our design process, and we need to interpret that research. And what I've noticed is that people will uh, interpret data differently. Maybe you've noticed this too, right? Hey, I have an agenda, and I'm going to make this data fit into my agenda, right? Right, so we have multiple interpretations. So let's, uh, how does this uh, affect from a mindset perspective? Um, so uh, my colleagues' interpretation of the data conflicts uh, with, with mine. Um, I understand, however, that um, unique perspectives can give us interesting insights, right? That may be a good thing, unique perspectives. Um, and so my choice is I'm gonna ignore what they say because that makes it more complicated for me. No, obviously we can make it, we can pause we can make a different choice, right? And maybe that choice is, let's talk about it. Let's talk about these different interpretations. And in that discussion, we are doing discovery. In that discussion, we are learning more. 
All right, I'm glad I took that detour. You guys glad I took that detour? That was a fun one. A lot of what I think about mindset came from this book called Mindset, which is really handy, by a psychologist named Carol Dweck. Um, Carol Dweck uh, did a bunch of experiments to try and figure out why kids who are smart refuse to engage in difficult activities. Have you seen this in your life at all? So my uh, older son um, is very talented. He was reading by the age of three, fluently. Uh, at age seven, he read The Lord of the Rings. And I can't get that kid to practice piano because it's hard for him. It's one of these things that doesn't come naturally to him, right? And so he, he, even at 11, he has a remarkable capacity for throwing a temper tantrum about practicing uh, piano. And we do it because it's good, because he needs to overcome this mindset. I'm jumping ahead. So she broke the world up into fixed and growth mindsets. With a fixed mindset, I'll just cut to the chase here, right? Too fast, too much chase. Um, with a fixed mindset, I look at the world and I say, this challenge is too difficult for me to do without any aid, or in my son's case, without practicing, right? So I understand that if I do this and I fail, people are gonna think I'm dumb. And so I'm going to choose not to do it. I'm not gonna engage this because it undermines my sense of identity. It undermines who I am or what I've been told about myself. Let's contrast this with the growth mindset where the perception is um, there's a challenge out there and it's difficult for me to do without any aid, but you know what? I understand that even if I get things wrong, I'm learning, and I'm growing, and I'm becoming uh, more, I, I have greater capacity. Uh, so I'm gonna choose to try it, and let's see what happens. And you can feel this in your own life. I guarantee you, there are things that you refuse to do because you feel like it undermines, if you engage in them, it's gonna change who you think you are, right? And there are other things that you readily embrace. So Dweck's work, she says, look, this is not black or white. This is not either or, but we have different uh, perspectives in our life and or different things that we uh, pursue with each of these mindsets. Um, I grew frustrated with this uh, model, though, because I felt like these distinctions, while helpful in my work, were too broad for me to think about designers. So I devised some additional mindsets to help me think about uh, my work as a leader in design. And I'll go through these uh, fairly quickly. Um, I write about them uh, a lot in Designing Together. So Designing Together is a, that book about collaboration and conflict, and that's where I explore these uh, mindsets. Let's talk about uh, adaptability. The intent here is that uh, with an adaptive mindset, uh, I am ready, willing, and able to try new things, right? To deal with new situations by maybe applying new techniques. And the thing that's hard about a mindset is that it's ingrained in you. And I'm not here to uncover all of that. We can pay therapists to help us figure out why we have fixed, why we have growth mindsets. And my role as a leader is not to play therapist, not always, right? But instead to help people overcome these challenges that they face. They can't be adaptable. So what I do is I try and instill habits. And these habits may be uncomfortable, but they are things that people can do 
to try and overcome some of the uh, challenges that they face in um, uh, adopting these mindsets. So for example, with adaptability, the intent here is to change the technique. You know, I always do user interviews. Let me try something different this time. Let me try a tree jack, or let me try a card sort, or let me try something different, right? And that may be uncomfortable, right? It brings you into a place that you uh, are unfamiliar with, but that is the key to growth. So let's look at collectivity. A lot of us like sitting in the corner and making wireframes. Are you one of those people? You don't have to admit it to me, but just think. Am I the kind of person who would rather not talk to anyone and sit in a corner and make wireframes, right? Or whatever it is that you do in your world. I feel like there are a lot of people like that in our industry, and it's difficult for them to overcome this solitary nature of the work that they enjoy to bring new people into it. So what can they do to apply multiple perspectives? Slack, in a sense, has been a boon for this, right? It allows me, an introvert, to post work just solicit feedback in a way that doesn't require any kind of con like confrontation. Assertiveness is the last mindset here. And the, the, the choice that I make is to put myself out there, right? I'm not, uh, even as I get older, I uh, embrace the capacity of younger designers to put themselves out there. I'm not the kind of person who wants them to sit and watch. I want them to actively participate, right? Because that's how they learn, to be assertive. I've worked with um, several very talented designers who once they got into a room full of people, they kept their ideas to themselves. Or worse, they wouldn't push back on people who had negative ideas or unhelpful ideas about their work. There are opportunities all the time to assert yourself. Nothing bad is going to happen in those situations necessarily, right? Assertiveness also means uh, working with incomplete knowledge, right? So one of the techniques here is, hey, you don't have all the knowledge you have, but be assertive. Put a stake in the ground. Say, here's what I do know, and here are the decisions I'm going to make based on that. So like I was saying, all of these things go against the grain of your, can go against the grain of your personality, right? This is like the fixed and growth dichotomy here. So all of these have um, opposing mindsets, right? And so if you are not someone who's adaptable, maybe you're someone who's like, well, it's worked this way the whole time. I'm afraid of changing. I'm afraid of trying new things. Or maybe you're the kind of person who says, I like working alone. Or maybe you're the kind of person who says, I get intimidated by authority figures, right? And that makes it difficult for me to be assertive. But that's where growth happens, right? That's how we become better at what we do, is putting ourselves in situations that are not entirely comfortable for us. And we grow by trying to adopt habits that embody these mindsets. Perhaps you can make the argument that a um, fixed or a solitary or a non-assertive mindset is good for design. I'm interested in hearing that. But in my experience, what I've, heard, what I've seen, in order to deal with the complexity of the issues that we're dealing with these days, these mindsets are crucial. So 
here's that stack of uh, habits again. But I realized something was missing. So I wrote those mindsets, I thought about those mindsets in the scope of collaboration and conflict. But when I started thinking about discovery, I was thinking about creativity. How do we be our most creative selves? And Scott's, obviously, Scott Birkin's written a lot and thought a lot about this. And his Myths of Innovation book was instrumental in my thinking around uh, discovery. And what I was also realizing is there's not been a lot, no one's really added much to the conversation about what's the right mindset for discovery. So here's my hypothesis. And because everything is better in threes, there are three of them, and that's where the title of this talk comes from. So I'm gonna spend the last 15 minutes here going through these mindsets. So when I'm curious, I perceive, hey, I'm missing some information in my uh, knowledge. And I understand that I can't know everything there is to know in order to do this design work, but at least I can try to fill in that knowledge. So I'm gonna choose to take the time to understand this space, right? That's curiosity in a very boring format. We've sucked all the life out of curiosity right here. So how do you embody curiosity? I'll use that as an opportunity to ask you. How do you embody curiosity? What is a habit, what is a behavior that you can adopt to be curious, to embody this mindset? Talk to new people. That's a really good one. Um, uh, the architecture licensing firm, we're working on a brand new project. They've never really talked to the stakeholder, the customers of this, of this product. And they're like, yeah, go for it. Here's a list. Oh my gosh, it's been so enlightening to hear from these people who are actually educators of architects, to hear from them and what their, what their perspectives are. Completely changed how we're thinking about this project. Good one. What's another one? Sandboxing new tools and processes, right? Let me satisfy my curiosity by using this tool to look at the world in a different way. I love it. There's an even more fundamental one. And if you take nothing else away from this talk, and I don't think you will, you should take this one. Now this may seem straightforward. This may seem easy. But think about every time, instead of asking a question, you try to assert your knowledge. Think about the time when someone said, conveyed something about themselves, and instead of saying, tell me more about that, or why did that happen, or how did you feel about that, you said, oh yeah, and this happened to me too. Right? Asking questions is something that we all believe we think is crucial to our work, and all of us can practice it more. So, uh, for example, this is... Part of the architectural licensing process is submitting a portfolio, right? Reviewers have to look at a portfolio. We asked a lot of questions of reviewers. How do you do this work, right? Here's another uh, habit beyond the ones that we've already named, which is follow your hunches. I got this from um, Stephen Johnson's book, uh, Where Good Ideas Come From, right? What creative people do is they'll have a hunch. Where does that hunch come from? Do you have a sense of where those hunches come from? Interactive portion. Those hunches come from your past experience, from things that you've already learned, right? So uh, one of the things that uh, we learned, actually, I got a quote here, right? So one of the things that uh, 
we had heard from internal stakeholders at our client is um, that uh, deans and provosts, this is now higher ed, make decisions in a cyclical way, seasonal way. And as we got some more information, we started thinking, I'm not, I'm not sure there's a seasonality, as much of a seasonality to this. That's a hunch I have. Let me follow that. Let me try and learn more about that. So let's talk about skepticism. Again, I think this is crucial for being your most creative uh, self. So again, the perception here is that um, some of our work depends on making assumptions or drawing on other people's assumptions. But uh, I understand that we can't validate all of the assumptions uh, that we have. But um, I'm, at the very least, going to make sure I've surfaced those assumptions. So an obvious behavior here is just make a list of them, right? Take the time to sit down and make a list of, based on what I know about the problem so far, based on what I know about the domain, what are some of the assumptions that I have? I actually use stakeholder interviews to do this because I might walk into a domain like higher ed and have no assumptions about it, but all my stakeholders do. So I'll ask them, what do you, know, what do you think you know about your target audience? Or what do you think you know about this problem? And those things help us understand some of the assumptions that they're making going in. Another behavior here is play the devil's advocate which I don't know if that's, can we say that anymore? Is that okay? Is anyone offended by this? It's okay. You can admit if you were offended by this. Uh, take an opposing view. I should change the card. I should change it. Take an opposing view, right? So the idea here is not so much, um, I'm gonna tear down your design because I think it's terrible and I hate it. I'm gonna, I'm gonna poke holes in your design because I feel like that will make the design stronger, right? So I'm gonna take, an, even though I like what I see, Let's talk about where it doesn't work. You know what I often use for this is um, kind of a bad cop type person um, where I'll say, all right, what are the worst things the CEO can say about this design, right? So that sort of even takes it away from me. But I'm playing skeptic there. I'm embodying skepticism, trying to undermine some of my assumptions. So my example uh, here is um, just sort of a general information architecture, right? I've laid out some navigation. This navigation makes sense, but let's try and poke some holes uh, in it. Humility here is the last one. This is, this is hard for some of us. Maybe not you, but some of us. I'm not naming names, it's fine. Okay, so what is, humil what is humility here? Uh, this is really hard. So when we did that um, education app, for parents and kids. I've got two children. I think I know everything there is to know about relating to children, right, obviously. But the truth is, when we did some user interviews, some of those assumptions were undermined. I had to be more humble. So though I've got some experience here, I really don't know everything there is to know about the domain. So even my experience um, and uh, other, other projects that I've done here doesn't qualify me uh, as an expert. I understand that. Therefore, I'm going to uh, embody this beginner's mind. I'm going to ask a lot of questions and try and learn about this as if I don't already know a lot about it. Anyone guess my favorite humble behavior? Anyone? Lunchtime. It's lunchtime. Yeah, go ahead. Say again. 
listening is a really good one. It should be my favorite. I feel bad now. Uh, listening is, is ultimately one of the most humble things you can do, right? Is, you know what? This person has something I perceive. This person has something interesting to say. I understand that I can learn something from this. Therefore, I'm going to choose to shut up and listen to what the other person says. But that was not what's on the next slide. Daniel. Ask them to teach you, right? You can say, you know what? I don't, I don't understand this at all. I don't understand architectural licensing. Let's start from the beginning. How does this work? Along those lines, here I am, a middle-aged man, and I sometimes struggle to say I don't know. But it's okay. I get through more projects by saying I don't know than anything else. Because it encourages people to talk, encourages people to teach me, and gives me an opportunity to listen. There's another behavior uh, that I like here, and that is, how am I learning on this project? My business partner, Nathan Curtis, um, is probably one of the foremost experts on design systems. Uh, and if you've followed his writing on Medium, he has a lot to say and a lot of deep thinking that he's done about it. And I'm really proud of all of the work that he's done. But what I'm also really proud of is when he brings his experiences back to the group so we can talk about it, he's like, here are some of the challenges that I've had. Here are some of the things that I haven't been able to figure out. Here are some new experiences that I, I need to integrate into my way of thinking about it. There's a humility there, um, this sense of how can I even improve myself? And at the end of the day, I think that's what this conference uh, is, is about here, is how can I improve myself as a leader? I actually wanted to give a bonus uh, behavior uh, here. Um, this came up uh, in an earlier talk. Someone asked, what can we do? And I take this one probably too seriously. I tend to preface a lot of things I say with, well, as Nicole said earlier, or when my partner Nathan was talking about this, right? I don't get further by hoarding credit. Uh, and so I feel like this is one of those behaviors that embodies humility that only positive things come from. I gave this talk uh, at another conference, um, and uh, the talk just before mine was Jeff Patton, and he was talking about um, the lean, lean UX, and there are apparently these mantras in the lean community, like design like you are right, test like you are wrong. Well, I don't know, that, I don't like the way that sounds personally, but someone tweeted back at me, for science, ask questions like everyone else is wrong and explore them like you are. And that feels like it embodies humility a little bit more. Right, the sort of idea that I'm going to put stuff out there, but I don't know if this is right. You, you walk into a meeting very differently when you're showing up with a design that you think might be wrong, right? Because you want to find out what can I do to make it right. So just to recap, we can talk about discovery as a phase, but really it's not so much a phase as it is a mindset. And when we say mindset, we mean we are um, 
translating our perceptions of the world into actions. This is hard for me, so I'm not gonna practice piano. That's a fixed mindset. I know everything there is to know about parenting, so I'm not gonna ask any questions about how to get my kids to read more, right? I've identified six mindsets. This is like a B plus slide. It's like a B, like a B minus is what I meant, B minus slide. Um, so I've identified these six mindsets of things that I think embody perceptions and attitudes that I think help designers in collaboration and being their most creative selves. And like I said, these attributes or these uh, attitudes can be difficult to embrace. They go against the, they can feel uncomfortable. They go against the grain of our personality. But sometimes the best way to embrace a mindset is to follow behaviors that, are, that you know are productive even though they're uncomfortable for you. So I could stop here, but what I wanna give you is um, this set of behaviors. It's much easier to think about your work in terms of what is a behavior or a habit that I can start to build? Because you may never change your mindset, but you might know the right things to do. So just by way of one more example, I, I get really excited about other people's work. Like when a designer comes to me and shows me work that they've done, I just think about all the mental effort, the technical effort that went into that, and I just feel a swell of pride, even if the design is not so good, right? So I'm always like, that's so cool. You got somewhere, <laughs> which is great, but it's not helpful when we're trying to explore new ideas. And that, to me, is my not embracing a skeptical mindset. How do I wear that hat? How do I, how do I change my perception so I can give this designer better advice? My mindset is more like, wow, I, I couldn't have come up with that, so that must be a good idea. So obviously, I'm a terrible designer, and I'm just gonna say this is great to cover up my own inadequacies and insecurities, that, that feels right to me. But I can pull out that play devil's advocate card. I can pull out that play bad cop card. And that encourages me to look at things differently. But it also encourages me to look at my own behaviors and my own reactions. You feel it. You feel it when something is uncomfortable. And that's an opportunity to ask yourself, why does this hurt so much? Why does this feel wrong to me? It's not wrong, but why does it feel hard or wrong? Why do I perceive the way I, uh, the things that I do? Um, why do I react the way, the way I do? Why do those perceptions trigger certain emotions? And how can I be different next time? Discovery, like any uh, creative endeavor, asks us not just to look at the design problem, but to look at ourselves a little bit, to reflect on our own behaviors. And my work here is done. Thank you very much. Thanks for listening to the Chicago Camp's 2017 Prototypes, Process, and Play Design Leadership Conference podcast, sponsored by Balsamic. With Balsamic mockups, anyone can design great interfaces. And in partnership with Simplecast, publish your podcasts the easy way at simplecast.fm. Learn more about Chicago Camp's events on our website at chicagocamps.org.